Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. This morning, I want to welcome some new folks and introduce them to you. They're a part of our team. This is David and Kathy Melson. Uh, so Pastor Dave is going to be over our business administration here at Jubilee. I know that many of you know Pastor Todd was doing that. Here's Pastor Todd right here. He hasn't gone anyplace. Todd's doing something else for us. Uh, Todd's been moved into project management in particular. Todd's working on uh, the sale of both of our buildings and what our future looks like going down the road. Uh, and then also, yeah, it is, I'll be talking about that later, not right now, so hold on. Uh, so, uh, and then um, also just taking care of what we have right now, which meant we felt like the Lord directed us to do that. So we needed the right person then who could watch over the day-to-day inside of our church. I know Pastor David, he and I were on staff together many years ago at Resurrection Fellowship. And some of you know Jonathan Wiggins, who's the pastor at Res. He'll be down here in just a little while teaching again. Um, Dave and Kathy had a real, just an experience from God that told them it was time to leave Res. And it was at the perfect time that we were doing what we were doing here. And we knew it was the Lord. So we welcomed David in that position. And then Kathy, Kathy has a real anointing on her life, prayer, prophetic, but healing in particular. She worked um, with healing rooms. And I'm excited because any opportunity for God to bring healing in our church, I say yes to that and I encourage that. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful that these guys are with us. They're going to be a blessing to you. And I wanna give them a chance to, uh, to greet you. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, yes, uh, two and a half months ago, I had a a divine encounter with the Lord, and he spoke to us that uh, our time at Res was done. And the Lord in his faithfulness, when he shuts one door, he always opens up another. And uh, John and I have a history. Uh, I was actually one of the founding members, yep. uh, board members of a Jubilee Fellowship. So I've, I've got to see it grow from just a, something God planted in John's heart to, to where you are today. And uh, the Lord in his faithfulness, he said that uh, when you delight yourself in him, he gives you the desires of your heart. That's right. And uh, this, this door, this open door, this opportunity is, is truly the desire of our hearts. Uh, we're excited to be here, uh, be a part of a wonderful staff and a great church. And uh, we just look forward to what God has for us. Hey, I'm Kathy. Nice to meet you all. Uh, we are beyond honored to be here. Um, super excited to see what God has. And the main thing is um, my prayer and our prayer is we just want to add value to you. and We want to be a blessing to your whole entire church. And can I share a really quick testimony? Yes. This popped up in the worship and um, John mentioned healing. And I remembered back um, when we were doing healing rooms and we got shut down um, and it, Healing looks different now during COVID. You, you, people don't want you to lay hands on, on, on you because, you know, the whole COVID thing. So we had to go all on, online and um, we were made aware of this guy in, in Oregon. His name was Kurt. He was a 65-year-old man with asthma and he was dying of COVID. Um, he was taken from in, intensive care, put in hospice. Everything was shutting down. His organs, um, oxygen levels were, were deathly low. And we got a word about him, um, a connection through a Zoom group. So we started praying for him. Within a couple of days, 
All of his organs started to come awake again. His oxygen levels went up. And within a week, he was taken out of hospital. The doctors just said, there's nothing we can do for you. You are going to die. Prepare, get the family ready. Um, the long story short is, Kurt is alive. Within two weeks, he was home. He was completely healed. And that all happened in a unique way. All through um, Zoom, we sent get well cards to him, You know, prayed over them. And, um, and it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle that Kurt is alive and well. So... I'm yeah, excited right about on. healing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. So um, I just like, I know you did it, but let's officially welcome to our family, David and Kathy Melson. Glad you guys uh, are here today. Um, I'm sure you're aware, most of you, we're under uh, some pressure right now from state government as to what, what we're doing right now. Um, part of that desire is that they want to push us back to where we were several months ago. And um, it was supposed to be instituted even this weekend. And one of the things that I knew in my heart is that um, I, we just needed to be together this weekend. I felt like I needed to pastor my people and that my people needed the pastor and that it comes before anything else. The mandate from God, um, I, those of you who go to Jubilee know that my, my ambition during this time has been to honor the Lord and to honor authority and to do both of those things well, because I think that's our witness and our testimony in this. But when it comes to the point of um, God has to be above that issue ultimately. And I'm not flippant. I'm not, um, I, I'm not like, hey, you know, we're doing this no matter what. That's not my heart. My heart is I've got to take care of God's people. That I, I have to answer to God in that before I answer even to government. Does that make sense? And so I knew that this weekend was just simply important and it had to be. Going forward, uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly, you know, we're, we're doing everything. Here's what I would appreciate. I would appreciate your prayers right now. It's a tricky time. It really is. It's a, it's a very tricky time right now, trying to figure out how to do everything and do it the right way. Does that make sense? And so I, I would just appreciate your prayers. Our staff would appreciate your, your prayers. We're, um, uh, yeah, we're just trying to figure it out. But this weekend, it didn't matter. I knew that we needed to be together. I knew that I needed, um, I, I just needed to be with you and I needed to talk to you. I know that some of you right now, not all, but many of you um, are probably somewhat confused right now, maybe hurt, uh, disappointed. Um, I know I've, I've had many conversations and many emails that have expressed that, kind of a, you know, what do you think about this? I'm gonna try to address that a little bit today and go down that road. Um, and so that's, that's where this, this message comes in. We're in a series called The Parables of Jesus. I changed it to call it The Parables and the Teachings of Jesus, um, simply because twice now in this series, I've moved out of the parables and moved into the teachings of Jesus. And if I'm gonna do that, I need to change the message. So that's the, that's the long and short of it. So um, we, we have been teaching just on the different parables, the words of Jesus. Last weekend, Pastor Terry uh, taught on the prodigal. Excellent message, huh? Terry just did such a, such a good job. Appreciate him and, and the gifts of all of our teachers. Uh, this weekend, um, so I, you know, I, I began to write the message two weeks ago. And I, I knew it would be after the election, but obviously two weeks ago, I had no idea uh, what was going to be the outcome. I didn't know which way it was going to go. I just knew that, um, I knew that no matter which way it went, I would have, um, you know, the following, th that Wednesday, I knew that I would have, you know, people disappointed one way or the other. And then I knew the next day, the rest of the people would be disappointed because 
no man is our hope. Jesus is our hope and our hope alone. And if there was any time where I've ever seen the church come, not, not, I don't want to say close to idolatry, but I would just simply say, it's easy for us to always think that if we have the right person in the right position, then everything's going to be okay. And I just want to make this statement. No president is going to fix what's wrong in the church. It's just, it's not going to happen that way. And we're thinking the wrong way when we think that way. So by the way, before you put up your defenses and think that I'm going at a particular way, keep them down for a minute and listen to me, right? Give me a chance to go where I need to go here. I'm just trying to say simply, the church can never put a human higher than what we put God in our lives. And when we do that, we are always going to be disappointed. We're always going to be significantly just feeling like, what happened in my life? Because when we tie our future to a human, we've made a critical mistake. Your future is not tied to a political party. Your future is tied to Jesus if you're a believer. That's the truth of the matter. And so we always have to keep that focus in front of us. And that's where I want to go today. So the parable that I chose, uh, the teaching that I chose, is Jesus when he was asked about paying taxes. Yay. Everybody's excited. But yeah, I know. Just give me a second. Give me a second. Let me take you where I want to go. So we're going to use Mark 12, 13 through 17 uh, as our foundation here. Uh, so it begins sort of in the middle of the story. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus. Now, real quickly, uh, the supporters of Herod are also called the Herodians. They only appear uh, in scripture a couple of different times, always in a negative sense. Generally, you, you know, uh, one of the times Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and he warns them against the leaven of the Herodians, right? He also warns against the leaven of the Pharisees, but he also warned against the leaven of the Herodians. The leaven is, is literally uh, what makes dough rise in bread. And he, and he teaches that just a little bit of leaven gets into the whole loaf. And so what he's saying when he says, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians, here's what he means. A little bit of their teaching goes a long way to spoiling what God can do in your life. That's what he's actually teaching. So in this sense, we have these two groups of people who, who are not in a positive uh, acting manner in Jesus's life. They, they are diametrically opposed to each other, but they come together with one common denominator. They want to get Jesus. So these leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They asked this question. It sounds so good, but we already know what the intention of their heart is. Teacher. We know how honest you are. You are impartial and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked whose picture and title are stamped on the coin. Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus gives this brilliant answer. Well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And instead of stopping there, he adds to it, just, this is just beautiful. And give to God what belongs to God or give to God what's been stamped in his image. Give to Caesar. Another way to say it would be government, wouldn't it? Because Rome was the government 
over Israel at that time. They were the power of the world 2,000 years ago. And Rome literally has their boot on the neck of Israel. Israel's under that government right there. So this is a trick question. The Jews have come because they don't like Rome and they don't like paying taxes and they don't want to submit to Caesar. So they're looking for Jesus to say, hey, you need to pay taxes because then all the Jews will turn against Jesus. Or if he says, don't pay your taxes, then all of the Romans and the Herodians will turn against. Either way, he's right on that razor thin edge. If he answers the wrong way, you ever been in that place right there? You know, man, so I don't know about you. Sometimes it's just better to shut up. And Jesus never took that way out. Jesus always was willing to answer. And he comes up with the most brilliant answer. Give to government what belongs to government. Give to God what belongs to God. I think that's just brilliant. And that's where I want to kind of take you today. So real quickly, let me, let me just, uh, th- this is not the message, but just to set up an understanding. Let me talk very quickly about the Pharisees uh, and the Herodians. Who are they? Uh, what are they doing? The Pharisees represent a very powerful religious sect in Jesus's day. Usually in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees are, are, are sort of you know arrogant, law-keeping. We're gonna keep everybody in line. And the Sadducees are sad people, apparently. And so, oh, come on. <clears throat> I worked hard on that joke right there. Forgot to tell it last night, and maybe it was the Lord trying to keep my mouth shut, apparently. (laughs) The Pharisees and the Sadducees represent just a religious hierarchy that um, that is bent on getting rid of Jesus. And here's the main reason they're jealous of him. Jesus isn't like them. They, they teach from memorization. They teach from, hey, this is what it says in the scripture. Jesus teaches it first person. This is what I say. Uh, In fact, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus goes, you've heard it said, but here's what I say. And it actually makes this comment all throughout the New Testament uh, in the gospels. It said that Jesus didn't teach like a Pharisee or a Sadducee. He taught as one who had power and authority. And the people loved it. And they began to follow Jesus. First, it's just a few dozen. Then it becomes hundreds. And eventually, it's thousands and tens of thousands of people are following Jesus. And he is a direct threat to the control that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had over people. And he's also a threat to the Roman government because many people like Jesus have raised up and led a revolt against the Roman authorities. And they would just simply squash it as quick as they could. And Jesus fits the mold in both camps. One, as someone who's gonna rebel against authority, and the other one, as someone who's gonna take away all of the the followers of all of the Jews. He, He fits that paradigm, and yet that's not why he's here, is it? So they find themselves just, they both hate Jesus. They have nothing in common, but they come together with the common denominator. Let's get rid of Jesus. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they represent the religious uh, 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 sort of hierarchy of the day. And the Herodians represent the, the, the government, the, the, the local authority, the, the, the day-to-day uh, activity of what's going on inside of Israel. So here's what you have. You have religion and you have government come together to get Jesus. And that's a powerful, powerful thing right there. 
And then Jesus answers that question, give to government what belongs to government, give to God what belongs to God. In one of the translations, it says at that point, the Pharisees no longer came to try to trick Jesus because they couldn't ever get him to stumble. Now, I, this doesn't have anything to do with the message either. Th this is just my mind, the way it works. I, I'm not good in a, in a pressure situation like that at giving a quick, my mind doesn't, I usually freeze. And then it's like when I'm driving home, I think, oh, I should have said that. Anybody else? That, yeah, that's, that's, I'm just not like on. So here's my question, right? It doesn't have anything to do with this. Just what do you think? Do you think that Jesus like could come up with that stuff just in the moment? Or do you think it was something that he thought about and came up with the answer before he ever talked to them? And I, I don't even know why that intrigues me. I think the God part of Jesus, he's all man and he's all God. The God part can do anything, right? The God part knows the intention of their heart. The God part knows what they're thinking. He knows how to answer it. But he was also a man. And the Bible says he felt everything that we have felt as humans. So do you think he ever felt pressure? Well, I think he did. I think it's just beautiful how he was led by the Holy Spirit here. Uh, when I was studying, let me just throw this last thing out and then I'll, I'll, I'll teach the heart of the message. When I was studying, the two things that I saw in the Pharisees and in the Herodians, uh, government and religion coming together to get Jesus, it's actually a picture of the Antichrist in the last days. And let me explain that. The Bible tells us that the beast and the false prophet. The beast is the Antichrist, and the false prophet is the, uh, the religion that works with the Antichrist. It'll be a one-world government and a one-world religion that we are forced to deal with in the last days. And it's a picture of what Jesus was dealing with here. They both came together to get Jesus, and the Bible tells us that they both come together in order to stop God's will in his church in the last days. And it's a pretty... Incredible picture if you think about what's being said here. All right, here's where I'd like to go. Verse 17, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Uh, if you're taking the online notes, here's the first one. Jesus drew a line. Look real quickly. How about that animation now for the message? Jesus drew a line. Um, today, I think one of the, the, the things that we struggle with in our day and in our time and in church is that uh, we have trouble delineating, drawing a line between what's government and what belongs to God. In fact, many people in the church believe that what's supposed to happen is those two things should come together and that's how we, we take over. That's how we make sure that God's will moves forward in our country. We own the government. We, we, we have the church come together and we move forward in this powerful thing. And the truth of the matter is in this teaching right here, it's Jesus showing us you have to draw a line between the two things. In fact, here's when trouble enters into the church. Whenever we mix government and church together and we cause them to work like, hey, we'll submit to you, you submit to us. Whenever we bring those two things together, it always ends up trouble for the church. Yes. Now, here's the thing that's quoted in your lifetime. I bet you've heard this. Thomas Jefferson refers to a wall that separates what? Okay, let's try this again. Like this, like that was bad. Thomas Jefferson refers to a wall that separates church and states. And I bet you have been taught that what Thomas Jefferson was saying is that the wall is there to protect the government from the church. 
That's what we have been taught. That's what's being taught today in school. It's what's being, if you go home and look it up on the internet, it will refer to the idea that the church can't have any influence in the government. But all you have to do is just look up who was Thomas Jefferson talking to when he made that statement. Listen to this. Thomas Jefferson was addressing a group of Baptist pastors. And the pastors were asking Thomas Jefferson this question. Do we ever have to fear that like back in England, the, the government is going to attach itself to the church and make the church have to do its bidding, its will, make the church have to submit to it. And Thomas Jefferson then makes the statement, there is a wall that keeps the church safe from government. And somehow today, that thing's gotten switched where we think that government has to be protected from the church. That statement was never meant for the church not to have an influence in government, but it was meant that government should never take over the church. And we find ourselves today with so many people who think that government has to have some kind of a rule in what we do, what we say, where we go. As a matter of fact, this COVID makes it so difficult right now to even separate a line, doesn't it? I get the fact we can't spread this thing and overload hospitals, but at the same time, dude, it's scary to have government tell believers when you can and can't meet. We're that close to them using that to be able to control what we say and what we don't say. And in fact, I didn't say this last night, but I'll say it. What makes this one more difficult for me right now is they've given so many allowances. For instance, we're moved to level two right now. The church is, but they allowed Park Meadows to stay at level one because they get a lot of income from Park Meadows. Whenever it's dealt with where the church is put in one place and then retail is put in another place, I have trouble with it suddenly. Before, I'm like, yes, we've got to do it. But now all of a sudden it's like, hey. So this line, man, you've got to draw this line like Jesus did. Government does not have the right to control church, but church does not have to keep its opinion to itself because the government serves us. We don't serve the government. So they both have a place. Listen. They both have an important place, but they are not equal. Government is important, but it is not equal to church. Church comes here. God comes here. Government comes here. Yes. That's the way that it is. All right, so let me, let me just do this real quickly. Jesus talked about the danger of mixing the two things together. Mark chapter 8, verse 15. They're crossing the lake. Uh, this is um, uh, the, up in Galilee, right? So they're, they're crossing uh, the, the sea and uh, Jesus warns the disciples, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of who? Herod. And of Herod. So the Herodians, man, the, King Herod, uh, he, he was allowed to be king because he paid tribute to the Romans. He did what the Romans wanted him to do. He treated the Jews horribly. Man, he, he massacred Jews in an in a unbelievably nasty way. And he represented uh, in that day and age the government part of it. And the Pharisees represented the religious part of it. And Jesus makes the statement that when the two things are mixed together, they can get in the mind of believers and a little bit of their teaching can ruin the maximum thing that God's trying to do in our lives. So Jesus just says, look, you gotta pay attention to this. You can't give in to this. So, so let's do this. Jesus makes the statement, give to government what belongs to government. Give to God what belongs to God. Let me make it easy for you. What do you need to give to God? 
What belongs to God? What, what, what from you do you need to give to him? And I wrote down these four things right here. Give God your heart. Don't give the government your heart. Want your heart broken? Give it to the nuggets and give it to government. It'll be broken, trust me. I didn't even mention the Broncos right now. <clears throat> give God your heart. How about this? Give God your future. When believers tie their future to the government, they've made a critical mistake because if your candidate doesn't get in, suddenly your future's over, isn't it? And I have heard more believers this week tell me how terrible it's about to be, how dark it's about to be, how horrible it's about to be. Listen to me, quit agreeing with the devil. Stop it, stop it, stop it. Agree with God about your future. Politics are important. Voting for people who are moral people are important because the laws they create allow us to enjoy our lives. But it doesn't come before God. And when you tie your future to a particular uh, uh, party or a particular uh, economy or a particular thought or process, you're making a tragic mistake because everything of this world will fail. The only thing that is fail-proof is our Jesus, man. Give your future to Jesus. Don't tie it to a party. Give your hope to God. Your hope is not in A particular, look, religion is not our hope. That's why out in the front is no religious moniker. We're not this religion. We're not that religion. We're not this understanding. We are people who agree to get together to do one thing, love Jesus and learn in that vein right there. That's what we do. And that's what we've agreed to do in this place. Our hope belongs to God. And most importantly, your salvation belongs to God. Your salvation will not be found in a particular party, in a particular understanding, in a particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, dogma that's out there. That's not where your salvation is going to be found. Let's do this though. What do you give to government? Because Jesus said, give to government what belongs to government. Give to God what belongs to God. What do you give to government? I wrote down in my notes, here's what, it took me a long time to come up with the right word. Here's the right word. Give your patriotism to your government. I grew up, so, so here, I'm 56. A little bit older than, than you know, uh, well, two generations past. I, I fall into the last year of a boomer. And I hate that because it's become a bad word today. Hey, boomer, don't call me that. So, so 64 was the last year for, for boomers. And then after boomers, it was what? X, yep. And then after X, it was what? Y. <laughs> and then Z. What? Come on. You're so very quiet today. <laughs> so we got all these generations. Here, here was the difference between my generation and then a generation today. So I was taught patriotism in school. So, and I was taught this without any embarrassment, without any problem to say it, that this is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And today, uh, today, so many people are taught that this is such a bad place, that it's got such a checkered and bad history. Look at me. No nation that has humans involved in it has any kind of track record that you can look at and say it's flawless. We all are sinners. We all need grace. We all need mercy. But this country is a awesome country, man. We sit in this country worshiping right now without any fear that someone's coming through that door. 
And there are countries and places today where people cannot do what we are doing. And we take this for granted and then we work to tear it down. And that's stupid. That's stupidity. This is a great nation. And I grew up with, with the idea of patriotism. Uh, we moved to Denver when I was, I was born in Louisiana. And when, uh, in 1969, we moved actually to Aspen. And in 1969, Aspen was not the glitzy, rich, glamorous place that you know today. In 1969, Aspen was a town for people who liked to ski and hippies moved to Aspen. That's who lived in Aspen in 1969. It was a a little Colorado ski town. And it didn't boom until a few years after that. And my dad was a pilot for a guy that actually developed Starwood up in Aspen. And Starwood was the thing that brought in all the glitz and the glamour in Aspen. So we lived up there for two winters and the winters were so bad that the guy couldn't get his plane in and out of the Aspen airport. So we moved down to Denver. And in 1972... Anybody grow up in Denver? Raise your hand real quick if you grew up in Denver. Four of us grew up in Denver. Where are the rest of you from? California? Is that? No, don't, don't, don't do that. No, you're making me sorry I brought that up just now. We love California people. All right. Man, some animosity in there. Let me write this down. Do a message about California. Okay. <laughs> the, the, the thought here, um, it, so it's 1972 and uh, the school that I'm going to does a field trip to the Denver Mint. And, and we go to the Denver Mint, park right at Civic Center Park is where the bus parked at. You walked across Civic Center Park to the Mint. The Mint's just on the other side of the park right there. Walked to the Mint, took a tour of the Mint. And that day, the Denver Mint was, was minting uh, Kennedy half dollars. Can you think about what I'm talking about? Okay, so real quickly, it's, I'm actually giving it away. It's not a hard one. Who is on a Kennedy half dollar? No, don't do that. See, I knew. Someone yelled out Thomas Jefferson. Come, who, who's on a Kennedy half dollar? Thank you very much. Why is Kennedy's face on there? Kennedy is a person that we admire. Kennedy is a person that we, we put a person on our coins, on our paper. It's a person who, who we look at and we say, this is a worthy person, a person we admire, a person that we... Uh, so a quarter's got George Washington. Dude, when I was a kid, George Washington was a hero. And to me, he still is. He still is. And we put those people on our coins because we pay homage to them. We, we look at them as though they're worthy of that. Okay, real quickly, listen to this. So Jesus said, show me a coin whose image is on it and it's Caesar. So Jesus just says real quickly, look, in this world, we pay homage to people like this. So give to them what belongs to them. But you're minted in the image and the likeness of God. Genesis tells us you were made in the image of who? Of God. That doesn't mean you have fingers and hands and hair and that God looks like us. It means that we've been given the attributes that God has. When God created everything, his crowning achievement, listen to this, in his creation was you and it was me. We got his attributes. Nature got life. The world got beauty. The stars got expanse. But we got, we got his attributes. So, so what that means is 
God is creative. When he speaks, he can bring things about. When he, he can speak into the darkness and pull out light. This is why your words are so important and so powerful. Do not look at the future of our country and go, oh, it's dark and it's over and it's done with. You're agreeing with the liar. You're agreeing with the enemy. You're agreeing with the one who doesn't want you to have a future. Begin to say what God says using the attributes inside of you. Call out your future. We have a hope. We have a tomorrow. The best days for our country, for our lives, and for the church are ahead, not behind. And look, we go, I can't believe, many in this room, I can't believe that my guy lost the election. Uh, God's done with us. Stop. Amen. Stop it. I get you're disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed, by the way, but it's not okay to be devastated. And if you're devastated, let me tell you what it means. It means you put your hope in the wrong thing. You put your hope in the wrong thing. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be discouraged, but it's not okay to be devastated today. And if you're on the other side and you're overwhelmingly joyful right now, let me caution you on something, that your joy will not stay very long if that's your source of joy. Your joy has to be found in God and in God alone. You are minted in his image. Begin to act then like you're minted in his image. Give to God what belongs to God. Your future belongs to God, yes or no? Yes. Dude, I believe God can take everything and turn it for our good. So even if it wasn't your guy or it was your guy, I'm saying to you, it doesn't, if this limits what God can do in our world, how weak is your God? Say it one more time because it looks like I got enemies on this side real quick. <laughs> If your God is that weak, if he suddenly can't do anything because your guy didn't get elected, how weak is your God? Man, the last time I checked, <laughs> he's the creator of all those people. He's the one who holds, I mean, everything in his hand. Where's your hope and where's your future at? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give to God what belongs to God. Here's the second one if you're taking the notes. You belong to God. You belong to God. Ephesians 2.10. Look at this scripture real quick. We are God's, what's that word? Where's masterpiece? Maybe your translation used the word workmanship. That might be more familiar to you. It, it says that we're his workmanship or his masterpiece. And then it goes on to say, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In the other translations, it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do awesome things, good things, wonderful things before the world was even formed. God's plans and purposes are not limited to the winds of our political ups and downs. God's plans and purposes are eternal and your part in that is to hold on to what God said, not hold on to what the world says. Hold on to what God says. Make your, your declaration today that I, I'm going forward. I'm going to be okay. The word masterpiece, workmanship, in the Greek, it's the word poema, P-O-E-M-A. It's where we get the modern word poem from. So what is it telling us? It's a word picture. Your God's artwork, his creative artwork, put on display for people to see. So let me explain it this way real quickly. Jesus, when he's with the disciples, comes to the Mount of Transfiguration. 
If you've never been there, go to Israel with me. I can take you to the exact spot. You go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus has Peter, James, and John with him when he goes up to the Mount of Transfiguration. On the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible says that the presence of God met them all. And they saw Elijah and they saw Moses. Can you imagine? And the Bible says that the presence of God, Jesus began, he began to shine brighter than the sun. And what is it teaching us? Jesus was reflecting, listen to me, the reality of a different reality. He's reflecting the reality of a different reality, another reality. Your job, if you are the artwork of God, put on display, your job in this world right now is to reflect the reality of another reality. Quit reflecting what the news said. Quit reflecting the, the, the disappointment and the discouragement. Quit reflecting some joy and some temporary thing. Begin to reflect as people of God the reality of Jesus Christ being alive, real, and moving in this world today. Begin to reflect the idea that his future for you is secure, that it's good and it's right. Do you hear what I'm saying right now? Reflect that, folks. That's our job in this world. Now, I'll close with this right here. Psalms 42, five and six. King David writes these words. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. He's actually giving a secret to those who are discouraged, to those who are depressed, to those who are down, to those who feel like they have no future. David actually is giving you two things to do. I will praise him and I will put my hope in him. If you are so beaten down right now, it's because your hope's in the wrong thing and you haven't been praising the right thing. And it's a challenge right now. Where's your hope gonna be when this service is over? And what are you gonna praise from this point on? You should, you should. Your hope is in God and your praise. What comes from your mouth should be there. David goes on to say, my savior and my God. Now, right this moment, I'm deeply discouraged, but I'm gonna remember you. I will remember you. Look, I get it. <laughs> uh, it it's, it's, uh, I, politics is one of those few things that can, can so lift a person or so infuriate a person, isn't it? that in marriage. Uh, those, those two things can just, this, come on. You know, I don't plan any of those. They just come in my mind right when I'm standing up here. It's just one of those things that can so, it can so encourage us or it can so infuriate us. But th the truth of the matter is both of them are not the place to live your life from. I'm not saying that they're not important. Jesus even draws the fact it is important. Give to government what belongs to government. But there's a line. Give to God what belongs to God. And he cautions, don't mix these two things together because it will ruin you. It will ruin you. As a church, that's what I want for you today. I want you to walk out of here feeling like I have no future and I have no hope. I want you to walk out of here saying those those. Death, it's a death wish. It really is a death wish. Stop that. 
And if you do find yourself on the other side and you're triumphant and rejoicing and see, I told you so, I'm telling you right now, temper that right now because it will be a short-lived if you're trusting in a human to bring you joy and come on, you know as well as I do how temporary that is. Find your hope and find your joy in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Find it there. So Father, we love you. God, I bless your name. I bless it above every other name. There's no other name given under heaven by which a person can be saved. That name, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That name stops the devil in his tracks. That name brings the dead back to life. That name, that name, that name belongs to you. That name is your covering. That name is your hope. That name, that name is your friend. That name is your savior. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people unto me. Our uniting factor then is not the moniker on the outside of our building. It's not the faces on our money. It's not who we registered to vote for. Our uniting factor is Jesus. If I be lifted up, I'll draw everybody unto me. God, help us. Father, I'm asking for unity. God, I know it's a big ask to ask over our country for unity, but God, you can use all things to do good. Use this moment, this situation, this time to do good in this nation. God, don't forget about America. Remember, God, the many, many missionaries we've sent into the world to teach people about Jesus. Remember, God, the people that we help, the way that we've stood. Remember, God, our founding. Remember, God, the prayers that have gone up through the generations, praying for today, praying for tomorrow, praying for hope. God, bring hope. Bring hope. Folks, we need hope. God, bring hope to us again. Real hope. Not temporary, not false. Real hope. God, help us. God, help us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for encouraging us. Thank you, God, that when we find our life in the pit, we can call to you and you turn your ear to hear us. You pull us out of the pit and you set our feet on solid ground. Do that right now. And I pray it. Hey, what's that name? Jesus. Amen. And amen.